0: This episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12, and the best business phone service services chosen by U.S. News and Wor- World Report. Can't pronounce my L's today. Nextiva helps companies all over the Pac-12 countries stay connected using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva, get business phone service, call coverage, cloud, computing, resources, love, and hugs. All for the fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Nextiva has been a great partner of 12-Pack Radio. Um, awesome service and a huge sponsor of Pack 12 football uh, and basketball moving forward. Make great calls every day. Visit nextiva.com 12-Pack to get started. Nextiva.com 12-Pack to get started.
1: Oh, South Carolina! Game. Yes it is. For 12-pack radio. Get excited, y'all.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to 12-pack radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Bader college football statistical model. This is a Sharp College Football. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And we continue to roll through the offseason thanks to our friends at Nick Steva. And I am joined, as always, by Rob Barron from Sharp College Football And Rob, a little bit quiet. I mean, like, one big giant bomb of a news nugget. And then the rest of it, kind of a quiet week in the Pac-12.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, no other coordinators were fired. (laughs) Good times. Yeah, I mean, which, uh, you know, signing day came and went. And uh, David Shaw did not make any moves. So Stanford is going with the status quo into next season, I guess. Um, Chip Kelly still has an open defensive coordinator role. Nobody was announced today, as you. But the big news we were sort of all waiting on
0: happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, real fast. I feel like Stanford is the General Electric of like the Pac-12. It's like you know they were just on autopilot for so long and uh, very successful, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we still make light bulbs, and uh, and and that that's that we we do that. Uh, It is it's kind of a bummer because you and I I think both thought that Stanford would make at least one coordinator move, uh, after the debacle that was last year. And anyway, that that's just a bummer. That's a bummer to me. Um, I, I would really like to see Stanford make a leap. Maybe they do, you know, out of, they make something out of nothing. They do have a good recruiting class coming in, but man, that was just of all the teams that was by far the most depressing team to watch the, this past year. And I realized that there was some injury stuff going on, right? We had to see, uh, I forget. I, I put his name out of my memory because whenever he's a quarter quarterback, Jack West. Uh, I think that's yeah. the guy's name. Um, I mean, Tanner McKee could be interesting next year. I think he'll be better, but it's just like the defense was the problem and, and the offense was a problem. I don't know. I, I, we've kind of, we've kind of beat that horse to death, but I'll give you one more chance to strike hard and true.
1: No, no. I mean, it's just. I mean, like, what does Lance Anderson have to do to get fired? Right. I mean, the defense has been bad for a long time at Stanford and uh, you know, they just, they won't make move. I mean, Shaw will not make a move. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And you know, I mean like, you know, Shaw, I think has alignment, you know, has had alignment from like the major power brokers at Stanford. So there's not, it's not like a situation where he's going to have pressure from major donors um, to, you know, make a move or anything like that. But uh, it it is frustrating, I think, in particular as you pointed out, like because Stanford, you know, and people are going to point out to us, like, oh, they've got another good, re- you know, they've got a good recruiting class coming in. Like they've had good recruiting classes. Yeah. Like t- talent's not the problem, coaching is the problem um, at Stanford. So it is it's a, it is a bummer though because I like, I feel like we talked about for a long time that like USC was a little bit of a black hole for. Good players to go into, right under um, Helton. The uh, <clears throat> you know, we're good play. You know, good recruiting classes would come in, and you know, mediocre results would come out. Um, and it's a bummer because you know, look, there's some guys that Stanford gets that are, are certainly national guys that they bring in that are not necessarily going to go you know, perhaps to another Pac-12 school, but there's also certainly some talent, like, within the, you know, the larger Western footprint that they get that another Pac-12 school would have a shot to get, and maybe do something more with. I mean, it's just, it's a bummer to see Stanford continue to pull in top 20 recruiting classes and, and do nothing with them.
0: I was listening to, what's the Stephen Godfrey podcast? I actually uh, they're fine. Split Zone Duo. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I can, um, I love the... I actually, I, li- I like that one, but
1: I like I like, the, I like how more like fairly plugged in they are on like the coaching carousel booster type stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. That that could be interesting. To me, like Cover 3 is my go-to now uh, nationally. I mean, of course, like the Pac-12 podcast and everything. But on a national front, I just like – anyway, I was listening to the Split Zone duo and they were basically talking about Stanford and how uh, – and this is kind of like why sometimes I just – like, I just don't listen to them that much. They're talking about like the offense, not being, not having talent. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like they they've signed like multiple, the, the problem on recruiting actually has been some of the defensive stuff. They haven't brought in those big bodies on the line. Um, they get some good linebackers. They get some good secondary play. Um, and and they have recruited on the line, just not at the level that you're, you've been used to with Stanford, but the offense has been where all the four-star like blue chip players yeah. are. They haven't done crap. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking well- about? Well, it gets frustrating,
1: too, because, like, I mean, they are some they, – they certainly – one of the things that that podcast in particular, I think, maybe beats to death is the idea of the, the sort of Jimmy's and Joe's thing. But, like, Stanford's an excellent example about how much coaching and development really matters, right? Like, it looks like they don't have talent because they haven't developed <laughs> these guys, and they're not doing a good job coaching them, right? Um, you know, that's that that's significantly Stanford's problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we, I mean, we've, we've kind of hit on them the last couple of weeks, but I think it was important to mention that they didn't, they didn't make a move. They didn't make a hire. They are who they are. And, uh, and we'll see how that works out for them. Uh, moving from there though to a team that just made a big splash. I mean, uh, USC Caleb Williams. Now we, we had recorded a show and then like two days later, uh, the Caleb Williams announcement happened. And I mean, like this, we kind of assumed that this would be the case. And I think there's a couple ways to approach this, Rob. Um, you know, on my end, I think just highlighting the production that he was able to provide as a freshman at Oklahoma—about 60, uh, 64 and a half percentage completion rate, you know, 1,900 yards, 21 touchdowns, four picks. Um, you know, as a true freshman, that's pretty darn good. He had four hundred and thirty eight yards on the ground and six touchdowns there. Now, granted, almost all of those are probably against Texas. So, you know, like you got maybe throw <laughs> that one out. But uh, he also did that not starting the whole year. So I, I you know th- this the whole idea would be, look, he was shaky in a couple games, so he you know, he certainly um was not perfect. And there was a couple times that, that offense sputtered a little bit, but as a true freshman with that type of productivity, with that kind of like just arm talent and, and just the body that he has going to USC with a very good offensive coordinator who he's used to. Um, I mean, even though he's the head coach, but basically the offensive coordinator, um, I think that's pretty exciting if you're USC and um, you know, your, your predictions on how far they're going to go with him. Uh, I'm just curious what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat>
1: Uh, I think that people, I think that they are like unsurprisingly there there's some bad takes I think in both directions. I think people are underselling the move, um, the, you know Williams coming over and you know the 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 one that they really bring up often with Williams is that USC <clears throat> um, you know doesn't did not have a great offensive line last season, um, but the reason that Caleb Williams ended up starting for Oklahoma last year was because Oklahoma never had the line last season you know like um Spencer Rattler lacked Caleb Williams mobility um and that was a real add-on you know Caleb Williams ability to scramble his ability to run take the ball you know added another dimension to that Oklahoma offense that defenses had to cover and open things up in a way that Rattler really really wasn't able to do so uh you know I think you know, I think Riley went out and made a terrific hire for his offensive line coach. I fully expect USC's offensive line just to improve because of the coaching. But that said, like if you're going to tell me that you know USC can't put together a top 10 offense next season because of Caleb Williams isn't going to have time because of the offensive line, I encourage you to go look at what that Oklahoma offense looked like before and after he took over. Uh, so I do think like there's some PAC 12 fans that are, I think a little too dismissive, um, of where you view USC's offense could land. I think, however, there are some national folks that are jumping in with like, oh man, USC could be a playoff team. And like, that's bananas. Cause Caleb Williams doesn't play corner yeah. <laughs> and, like USC's defense, I think is a multi-year rebuild um from where they finished out i i think there's still some fair questions about alex grinch um you know is he going to be able to like he had some really good years at washington state um the only really good year he had at oklahoma was the pandemic year and i don't trust that data a ton um so like i mean the jury's a little bit still out on grinch but i i do think that like this usc even with as many you know transfers and bodies as they've brought in, you know, in the on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think that there's anybody that you look at and you think like, oh, that's a really big impact player. I mean, I think they're 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 generally, you know, they're looking for volume. You're like they're they're sort of like a volume shooting here, shooter here, hoping to get some hits out of the portal, um, you know, and and also hoping to find some guys currently on the roster enough to make it work. But you shouldn't expect this defense to be good enough to really, I think you not only get to compete for the playoff but i mean i don't know how you feel i don't think that they're i don't think that they're going to catch utah next year now, the year after maybe like you year, year after bets are off but i think utah's ahead of them still next season
0: All of these coaches who have really good X's and O's acumen and I mean, I know Dan Mullen was hit for his inability to recruit at Florida, but his recruiting classes were always like top 15. It was just they weren't competing with Alabama and Georgia. Um, And so a lot of those players end up washing out. A lot of the four-star players that are left by that time, um, oftentimes there's a reason that they are still available, whether it's grades or just you know maturity problems. Or and I would have been one of those players, by the way. So I'm not throwing shade at anybody. It just kind of is the reality of uh, of you know dealing with eighteen-year-olds. And so USC's move to the portal, I think, is smart. At the same time. Chip Patterson had mentioned something about like you know USC immediately contending to to win the entire conference, and I just don't think I don't even think they're going to win their their division. The the Utah is very good, and Utah yeah. will continue to be very good. And the fact that they actually have an offense now, I mean, like I think we've all appreciated the fact that the defense is almost always going to be uh, like the the floor of their defense is always going to be like a B, um, and and it can bump up to A and. Just seeing that the players that they're returning, the way that they're recruiting there, and bringing in linebackers to replace a couple of the guys that they, that have left that were awesome, uh, but the but their linebackers are always awesome. And I just I, mean, I think it's a good I guess segue into what Utah is as a program. We were going to do our post mortem on them. But uh, I mean, like my money will be on Utah winning the South and and possibly winning the conference just with all the turnover that we're seeing um, in the other programs. I know Dan Lanning is a great offensive coach. Um, He had very, very good talent to work with. So we'll see how he's able to do with not his players in his first year. And then you go down the north and you're I mean, you're kind of thinking who's going to beat Utah next year? I mean, is there anybody that you would put money on right now, like on a neutral field to be to beat Utah in the north?
1: No, no, you should. I mean. You know, like Oregon's going to be a, a bi- pretty big TBD, right? Um yeah. And you know, like I'm 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 at the stage like Oregon's got to show me they can ever have a downfield passing game, you know. <laughs> and I don't, but I don't think you know. I mean, like with Dillingham and and seeing what they have you know seeing what they've really got, it's going to be you know like I I'm not sure that they're I, I just like Utah's going to be set like they've got they've got their important players on offense coming back. They've got coordinator, you know, continuity, head coach continuity. And they've, they've shown over time that they do really well replacing players for the most part on the defense. I do think that they have fallen off a little bit on the defensive line, yeah. but I, I mean, <clears throat> overall you really like where the Utes are and there's, there's not any, there's nothing with the Utes that you feel like, Oh man, this is like a glaring question mark for their ability to win the conference. Um, you know, I'd not like you certainly have with nearly everyone else.
0: Yeah. They, the one thing is like, they don't have a star lotulele in the middle. Yeah. Um, and you know, that is a problem, but so, so they like, don't
1: generate the pass rush. It's, I mean, they're, they're, they're okay still filling their gaps on the run game, but they don't generate the pass rush they used to. For
0: sure. Yeah, yeah, no, which is a bummer. And, like, you know, I'm hoping over time that they just – I mean, it's not like they don't recruit big bodies. So, I mean, even now, like, right. they got a, – a, I think it's Dallas uh, Vakalei, I think is how you pronounce his name. But, like, you know, 305-62 defensive line. I mean, like, th- that, th- those are littered on the roster. So, they have bodies. It's just whether or not they can develop them. And they have a pretty good – opportunity to do that uh you know lander barton was their prize recruit number seven linebacker in the country a top 100 player uh they also bring in uh mahmoud i think it's diabate who came from florida who is like one of the best you know transfers in the portal uh as rated by you know 24 7 sports i just i think i think when you take a look at what utah has and you compare it to what what usc will what people will hope that it will be I think like it's one in the hand versus two in the bush. Right. But like the one in the hand is extremely amazing. And the the one in the bush we actually saw last year, not that great on defense. Uh, I think the offense will, will be able to put up points, but I just, I think, I think Utah is, I mean, like what, what would you put the odds of them? You know, if, if like you were Vegas and the sports book, you know, what, what, what would the odds be for Utah winning the, the South? Versus USC winning the
1: South. Oh, man. I mean, like, well, here's the thing that might give you a little pause on that, right? Of, like, if you're a sports book, right? I mean, I, I would probably put it at Utah, like, 65 70% to win the South. USC is going to get most of the rest of that. UCLA, TBD on the defensive coordinator hire. And that could change the odds for Utah if, if UCLA made a good hire. But the thing with USC is is... <clears throat> if the offense really did get going, their schedule's pretty good. <laughs> Next season, uh, I mean, yeah, there you go. I mean, that's like the, t- like that's the, I mean, the tough thing is, is it's, you look at the schedule, it's tough to see any obvious losses. The thing with this USC team is, is like, I don't think oh. that they're going to be, I don't think they're going to be good enough to win on off nights. Um, you know, which is a, Which is a key? I mean, that's one of the major thing that separates like great teams from just good teams, or you know, very good teams. Um, you know, but like they they miss Oregon and Washington again. Uh, you know, like they, you know, they're tough. they know, their toughest games. I mean, they like their middle of the season game is at Utah. You know, so that's that's the real tough one. Like it's it's hard to see this USC team unless Utah turned it over three times. <laughs> Going to Rice eccles and winning. That's a tough one to see. Um, but after that, I mean, you know, like, you know, they get Arizona, Cal, and Colorado, which they should blow through for the most part. And then they get UCLA and Notre Dame, you know? And, yeah. and, and look, I mean, like, you, you, you know, I, I think, I, I think right now I would call, USC versus UCLA, a toss-up. I think I think people are underestimating. UCLA was pretty good offensively last season. Um, now their defense again was bad, but they have a chance with the defensive coordinator hire to make a good move here. Um, and you know people's expectations of USC are for this like enormous like V-shaped bounce back. Um, but I think this year is going to be a little bit of a stepping stone too you know, UCLA, you know, I think is, is a little bit of a dark horse depending on like fully depending on the DC hire, but, um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that's the one thing is like, if Utah were, but like you, in that case, like, I still think Utah beats them, which means USC has to count on Utah dropping two games. And that's hard for me to see with the Utes.
0: The one thing, like you mentioned, you, you highlighted USC schedule. If we look at, at Utah's schedule, their away games yeah. are just interesting at UCLA. Right. And it's not like the Rose Bowl is super... You know, uh, intimidating, but it is a travel game and it's tough. Like UCLA has played actually fairly well at home; they've been really yeah. interesting there. And I know they're trying to beef up the atmosphere and all that stuff. But it, it is a road game at UCLA; that'll be tough. They have to go to the Palouse to play Washington State, a team that is. I we we've both we just talked about them in our post mortem. We're pretty bullish about uh, about them. That should be a fascinating game. It's always difficult to to go out to Washington State and and win in Pullman, particularly with a good team, and then. they go to Oregon, too. They have to play at Otzen. So it is. Yeah, this is a a tougher schedule. Uh, At least the road games are for Utah. And that that could give you a little bit of pause. But yeah, let's uh, you know what? Let's get into what Utah was able to do this past year and then take a little bit of a glimpse forward here, including a really interesting game right at the beginning of the season for them. We talk about their schedule. And let's do that right after this. All right, we're back. And we're talking to Utah football. We're doing our postmortem. By the way, as I, maybe I should have like changed the terminology because postmortem always means like. I always feel like, oh no, something terrible happened. Let's look and right. see what But uh, but in this case, and in a lot of the teams that we've been doing, it has actually been pretty good news. And I think that's the case for Utah. Um, you know, obviously ended the season. On on a high note, my my worst take of the year by far was my belief in Charlie Brewer, and I apologize to everyone and their pets for <laughs> trying to get on that. No, train. no, I mean you. I
1: mean, not that you shouldn't feel bad about that. You should, but the, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: like,
1: I, I will say, um, like ninety nine percent of Utah Twitter and Utah writers were all on that same boat with you. Um, and it was all like, so don't feel bad. Like, I don't feel too bad about that. Like, cause I, I spent like the early part of like, like this. Cause you remember he had that like amazing spring game. And I was like, everyone stop, slow down. It's still Charlie Brewer. (laughs) Like
0: I got some hell from some Utah fans for that. Well, it's funny because I do think like the, the thing that made everybody excited, it wasn't necessarily the 15 of 15, although that, you know, everybody talks about that, but it was more that Whittingham was like over the moon about him, and and I think yeah. Utah fans are right that that's not normally the case. He's usually pretty reserved as a coach, and he really tries. My impression of him, like just following Pac twelve football for like a decade, has been, you know, he keeps his cards fairly close to his chest. Um, if you have a, if you're really good, he's going to go out of his way to say that you're really good. And that's kind of what got me. It wasn't necessarily the past performance, which is really important because there's four years of it, Brian Conger, uh, but it was more, uh, pretty, you know, being excited about Whittingham's interest in, in that position. With all that said, once they made the, the switch, I mean, you could really tell, and like you saw it in real time when they were playing San Diego state, you know, Cam rising yeah. goes in that program, all of a sudden, you could watch it turn around. And it was actually fascinating to do that. Uh, really undercut by these stupid, stupid... I mean, everybody talks about the the dumb rules in the NFL for overtime. Like, moving to the two-point play conversion, like, it's just such a dumb way to end a game. Um, and that ended up nipping... Utah and the bud when they were playing San Diego state, which was a bummer. Um, They're going to see them again, but overall, like, I mean, that, that that was the turning point for this program that really was able to go on a run. What what did they, how did they finish out in beta rank with the, with their rankings here up?
1: I mean, the huge bummer is not just the two point thing. It's that like they started out with Brewer because like then they were, they were, and this doesn't happen as often where like, you know, and we talk about like, When fans, whenever some fan comes back to me with like, what I'm questioning like say Wisconsin continuing to stick with like uh, Graham Mertz or something like that and they're like you're not there in the practice the coaches know what they're seeing and I'm like how many times have we seen somebody make a mid-season switch yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like this idea that like the coaches always have it figured out in practice and like they're always playing the guy that's going to give you the best chance to win in the games I just don't buy <laughs> yeah. so um, but it's a bummer for Utah because they ended up up so good it was such a different offense with rising I mean I think that they I think Utah is probably like a one loss regular season team if rising plays all year um, and that's a bummer right like because the youth took some unfortunate early losses
0: yeah that BYU game I mean yeah BYU beat like straight up just beat Utah um, yeah but they were at home and it was like this big. I, I don't know if if and they it, it, had some
1: turnovers and
0: yeah, they, yeah. And it was just you know, it, it would. That offense sucked, and you could tell. <laughs> like that was yeah. that was a problem. So it's possible that they beat them. I think they beat San Diego State. The, the yeah. inexplicable loss to Oregon State is um, uh,
1: that that stays. Like that's yeah. posterizing. Like you got to live with that one, guys. Oh,
0: and I was all on that game. Like it's just, it's a, the typical Oregon State game where you know you have to go to Corvallis. All that you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's cold, and you know Utah's used to the cold, but just I mean like not that you could see that coming from a mile away because I'm sure they play that game three times Utah wins two of them but like of all the games of course that that's what I'm saying of course it's that game where they go to Oregon State on the road in the middle of a big run and then and then fall on their face so yeah I mean yeah. like I do think that I mean, makes, like
1: it's that crappy beaver defense that the defensive coordinator got fired and
0: like just. It <laughs> <laughs> just like I think the, the interesting part was the fact that like you know so if you take a look at the wins after they make the change, right? So they, they beat yeah. they hold Washington State to 13 points. Um, yep. they beat USC almost double up USC. Um, they beat ASU handily. Uh, they they beat UCLA by twenty points. They beat Stanford by a gazillion points. That game was never close. I mean, like, and I'll even give them the the Arizona game because that's such a dumb like it was such a hangover. Who cares? Like, let's just get into Tucson and like get out. And like, I was on yeah, Arizona, but and
1: I, Arizona just never quits. So, I mean, that was one thing. I mean, like, at least this season. I mean, that was one thing about fish, right? Like, because like those guys, Arizona was just like all try hard, and that was a total game where like the try hard team could look like they were sneaking up on the team that was like let's just do enough to get out of here
0: oh yeah like if they played that on a neutral field like the next week you know after you know like Utah wins by 40 points it's just yeah Yeah. it's, it's just one of those things that you know it is what it is but then they just beat the doors off of Oregon twice and I think that was the interesting part and that's what everybody focuses on but they should I mean Utah came out and just showed that they were the better team. Period. End of story. It's not close, and it was funny to see the spread on that because Vegas was like, "I don't know about that last ass kicking." Like, are you sure? Because I watched it. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I know. I know it was. <laughs> I know it was. Uh, uh, you know, like the the momentum started going, but like Utah just dominated that game, and then they they did it like two weeks later. <laughs>
1: Bader rank had Utah again by more than Vegas. And I was like, we're just gonna go with it. Like I I'm pretty sure that like so yeah, some of that was bad luck, but some of that was just pure like you had it coming. <laughs> and um yeah, I mean this this Utah team finished um and this is why I think you know, when I, I think people are underestimating the Utes because the Utes did have some bad early season losses. But by the end of the year, they were playing really, really well. They finished at number five overall in beta rank, um, number six on offense, um, and number nine on defense. Now, what's interesting is how the, you know this offense really shook out. They were not that great. I mean, not great. They were okay at drive efficiency, number 29 there. Um, So, I mean, they, but they didn't have to be because they were at number nine in explosive drives. They put up a lot. I mean, this Utah offense put up a lot of big plays. Um, Number five at negative drives, not a lot of three and outs, not a lot of, not a lot of turnovers, doing smart things with the ball. Um, And what, what, I mean, the real dimension I think the rising adds two in addition to his decision making um and they did also you know move some guys, like their offensive line which we had called out in the early you know preseason as being a bit of a weakness like they shuffled some guys around into some more natural positions and i think that helped it also helped that rising made quicker decisions than brewer did and got the ball out um but they're they were a much more i mean like that's why i think you know they're a really effective rushing team and they're bringing a lot of that back so they're number 4 in effective rush number 39 in effective pass and i think when you look at like the fact that they've got a returning qb they've got they're bringing back the running backs you know the offensive line should be solid again um, you know, and, and really the most dangerous part of the offense for the passing game was, was the tight ends. And then they bring those guys back. I mean, this Utah offense should be set. like, I mean, I think you really have to look at this Utah offense and, and say they have a shot to finish in like the top five offensively in, in beta rank next season.
0: Oh, it's amazing. Like the fact that they finished sixth in offense, like Utah sixth. I know nationally and like not in the conference nationally. Um, and are able to put up explosive plays. I mean, it, it is just fascinating. And like, and I mean, we didn't even mention right. You had the death of Ty Jordan the year before, right? Yeah. You have Aaron Lowe, uh, who ended up, you know, being being killed by gunfire as well. Um, and just the team rallying around. And and think of that. Even before that, you had the the controversy with the defensive coordinator and like the text yep. that he sent i mean just the fact that the team has just been cohesive i mean as far as we know right we're, we th- this is yeah. one time where i can't say we're not in the locker room but like you can see it on the field like this team uh and also the pac-12 did a really i loved how ucla i think they put flowers on the numbers like before their game there's just some really cool things that the conference did uh, but the fact that they were able you know i think oftentimes the word adverse adversity isn't like overused like you know some somebody's <laughs> somebody says something or like does a really just makes a really stupid decision and then they oh I'm, I'm gonna go overcoming adversity like this was adversity and the team yeah. was able to plow through um I do want to before we get into some of the stats here Rob I did want to just go back to the last game on the schedule with Ohio State um because I'm curious what you think I it's just tough for me to get a whole lot of like have a whole lot of excitement out of that that uh, Rose Bowl I mean it was awesome like if you're a Utah fan oh my gosh you made it to the Rose Bowl that's awesome but just, it's just a bummer because that game was just so herky-jerky and you had the running back playing corner but you also had like yeah. three wide receivers out from <laughs> like Ohio State and Ohio State clearly in that first half was just like ah like, whatever we're not in the playoff and then they kind of wake up I don't know I just how much like on a scale of one to 100 how much weight do you put into that game moving into the the next year
1: so just FYI This year, because of the the effect that COVID, like we got through an entire regular season of college football with really only that weird Cal Arizona game, right? (laughs) And then (laughs) no, and and then and and then that that USC Cal game that got um, moved, but for the most part, up until like up until really Omicron hit, like we didn't have really big effects on games. And, like, they did their best to hold the bowl season sort of together. Um, but I think in doing that, you know, and teams getting out there and fielding really incomplete rosters, it really affected the integrity of the data. <laughs> like, I don't... I, 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 for, so, for this season, with the exception of the playoff games, which the rosters were overwhelmingly intact and teams had a reason to show up... Um, I actually left the playoff data out, or the bowl game out data out this year, um, and I, there's very good reasons for that. The if you leave the bowl game data in, um, and I think he, I think Bill Connolly may have left it in at SP Plus. So if you go look at his final SP Plus ratings, you'll see this. Um, Kansas State fired their offensive coordinator this year. And if you leave the bowl game data in, Kansas State finishes with like a top 15 offense <laughs> for like for like an offense that fired their 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 coordinator because they went and took it to an LSU team that was practically down to like, I don't know, like 40 guys, like active players and no quarterbacks. And Orgeron's <laughs>
0: playing defensive tackle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like
1: so that uh that game against Ohio State, like I mean, I do think Utah, I mean, Ohio State had the number one offense in beta rank this year. They still, I mean, they didn't have their best wide receivers, guys that are clearly going to the NFL. They have a bunch of guys who will who will be going on to the NFL later <laughs> because Ohio State recruits like gangbusters, particularly wide receivers with Brian Hartline there. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't put a ton of weight into it. And 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 Utah fans shouldn't. Um, like you should be happy about getting to go to the Rose bowl, you know, like that game was a lot of fun. Um, but like, I would not have too many take, like in the same way that, you know, we cautioned people after we kind of started to figure out like how big of a mess Ohio state's defense was, we kind of started to try to caution people about like. Oh, that was pre coordinator change for yeah. the Buckeyes, yeah. <laughs> right? Like results may vary on um, that Ohio State defense wasn't good all season. They also had some opt outs and, you know, some COVID guys, you know, and um, as did Utah, right? So, like, I wouldn't, I just, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into it. Like, um, and I think that the, I think beta rank, like, I think the, I think the important thing with beta rank with leaving these games out is that, what you see in the final ranking is far more representative of what we on the field when teams were at full strength.
0: Yeah, which is the top five uh, team.
1: <laughs> which yeah, it's great. Which hey. still for Utah is the top. I mean, well, here's the thing: is like Utah's offense got a little better with that with the grading, but their defense got a lot worse. <laughs> and, and I was really like, I can't. I can't, it's not fair to grade a Utah defense that's got a running black back playing corner. Right. Like, it's just not fair to grade them, uh, you know, on that. So, um, I, you know, it, it got left out. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like you like it was a blast. It was fun to watch. <laughs> it was not. It was I mean, it was fun to watch, but it wasn't like great football. Um, But I, I mean, this Utah team for what you should take into next season <clears throat> is is I think you did see some really good individual play from guys like Clark Phillips. Um, on that Utah defense, that's really exciting. Um, but, like, we do have questions. I mean, like, defensively for them, they finished at number nine. You could put up drives on them, though. They were at 54 in drive efficiency. Huh. Um, so, you, you could sustain drives against them. Now, what they did well was contain big plays, number four in explosive drives. And they were good against the run. That run fit in that front six or seven was really good, number six in effective rush. But you could throw the ball on them. They were at number 34 in effective pass, and that's something they have to clean up heading into next year. Um, you know, what's traditionally been a really strong secondary and safety group for them, you know, you're not going to see the same. You know, we didn't see this season like the same level of guys like maybe we saw a couple of years ago where you're sending, you know, a couple of guys into the NFL draft um, from Utah. Now, they may be, you know, those guys may be developing right now, like, say, Clark Phillips. But, you know, they have a little more work to do. I think defending both defending the pass on the back end and the secondary, though, I think Phillips is going to be really good, um, but also generating more pass rush.
0: Yeah. Two more things on that Rose Bowl. The first is, uh, I forget, I forget who the who the running back was that was playing uh, corner, but there's the those clips of that guy that's doing the film study. Right, and he's just making fun of oh, players yeah, that like really Yeah, and they, yeah. there's a clip of him. It's on his TikTok. It's the running back, and he's watching. And he's like, "I play wide receiver," because he's just killing him. He's like, and then you're out there doing your pigeon pose, like you're gonna stretch out. It was just really good. Uh, and th- the second thing, the one, the one takeaway of all of all the things that you said, I just want to add one more thing would be, um, if you're a Utah fan, it is like it is nice, and I do think that, and I don't mean this ironically or like with humor, it, it is nice to to have gone into a Rose Bowl. And and not gotten waxed, you know, a la like Texas, um, you know, like w- basically what happened in the Holiday Bowl. And I think yeah. it's, I think that like I legitimately mean that it's 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 good that your team is able to go into a big game against a team that even though they didn't care and even though they had like a lot of players out and you had a lot of players out, you still were incredibly competitive and put up a fun game that everybody's talking about. Like that that in itself is a great takeaway. It would have sucked if they went into that game and lost like 45, 10 because that would just yeah. deflate all sense of momentum for that program. So very excited that they were able to uh, make a game of it. All right, Rob. Let, let's get into the stats. Um, we have a, a couple games here that that, that are going to be on the radar for Utah. Uh, let's take one more break here. All right, we're back. We talked the we talked advanced stats here with Utah. We talked advanced stats. Just want to kind of go through a couple of the highlights here, just from the raw stats. You know, Cam Rising, twenty five hundred yards, twenty touchdowns, five picks, right? Sixty four percent completion rate. Heck yeah. Like that is, that is excellent. Plus 500 yards on the ground and six touchdowns. So I am not comparing him to Caleb Williams. I am comparing his numbers to Caleb Williams. Cause they're about the same. Like, in fact, he has like 500 more yards than Caleb Williams did. Um, that doesn't mean that he's going to be as good as Caleb Williams. Doesn't mean that Caleb Williams is going to rise up. It's just like, you know, when we're talking about what a big, uh, boost Williams is for USC like rising was able to put up the same numbers and almost the same touchdown you know to interception ratio um, and the same numbers on the ground for Utah last year and he comes back I think that's really exciting on top of that right you have Tavian Thomas who had 1100 yards 21 touchdowns on the ground right we just talked about um, needing to fill the the place of Ty Jordan in his departure and then Utah went out and just brought in a ton of players. They brought in like two four-star guys, one from Oklahoma. I think the other was from Texas. And then it was actually the Cincinnati running back that ended up taking care of business. Plus they have Micah Bernard. I mean like I just think that um I just think that they're like offensively this team is a really good spot, Rob. And, yeah, yeah, they're not thrown to the outside again. I'll kill him for that because I think it's ridiculous. Because uh, the, the best wide receiver was Britton Covey, 500 yards and three touchdowns. And, you know, of course, he's the slot guy. It would just be nice. You know, I would love to have a pass or two to the outside. Um, am I asking for too much?
1: I mean, like, I I don't think they have the wide receiver talent. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think this is the fundamental limiting factor for them, Right. I think it's still wide receiver recruiting and development. Yeah. Um, You know, I think the the tight ends are there, um, you know, and I think the wide like I'll say this, I think their wide receivers do a really good job blocking. And I don't think there's so much of a liability that you can just ignore them. Um, But they are also extremely limited. Right. I mean, in, in what they're able to, I think, really add in. Um, and that's okay. I mean, this Utah, I mean, like you said, I mean, this Utah offense finished at six, Oklahoma's offense finished at 12, you know, like, I mean, this Utah offense is really good Like, and, and should carry forward again into next season. Um, you know, like you're really like you're, you're real only, you know, like I, I think maybe if you're, you're a watch out, if you're a Utah fan is, you know, like, you know, are, am I potentially going to, like, how much are we going to maybe miss Devin Lloyd? That said, like, you've got, you know, Nephi Sewell there, who also was really good. Um, you know, but, like, Devin, Devin Lloyd's the monster to replace in that defense.
0: Yeah. They they have, and we, we talked about this last week, but, you know, like, they, they tend to be excellent at, you know digging yeah. into the, oh, yeah. the bag of toys and then finding you know two right in the bottom of the sack and and that that doesn't even include the actual recruits that they have this time like oftentimes it's like oh the safety or you know oh this this guy that was a t- you know cast off from this school um it seems yeah. like they've just even improved that the one thing and i don't want to go too much into this but because we touched on it last week th- the recruiting though I know that at the linebacker position, they've done a good job. They have an interesting quarterback they've brought in that's a blue chip player. And I know they want to lean on talent and development. But just that leap that you would anticipate from a team that just made it to the Rose Bowl and has been incredibly competitive in the last couple of years and getting to the Rose Bowl, um, I just really – the jump hasn't been as big as I thought it was. Last year's class was decent. But, I mean – Well, let's
1: put it this way. I mean, let's be frank, right? Like a year where Washington, Oregon, and USC are all... Yeah. Yeah. Like all have new coaches, right? Utah finished 38th (laughs) overall nationally in recruiting. That's embarrassing, right? Like for where they are and where they've been. A team that uh, certainly has an identity, um, you know, certainly has and I think has brand recognition now, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as, you know, as a, as a really good team and program and a team that, you know, sends guys to the NFL. Um, and the fact that they are still out there (laughs) recruiting so poor, you know, frankly, so badly, you know, comparatively. Um, I think it's one of those ones of like when people, and, and I've been guilty of this, right, of saying, like, oh, if USC would just hire Kyle Wood, like, maybe Kyle Woodingham doesn't work at a bigger job because maybe he doesn't recruit, um, you know, at the way you need to at a bigger job. And, you know, his stick is just going to be the development, right? Like, and, and that's fine. But, like, I mean, it is, it is a little frustrating to see Utah here because, like, if Utah recruited, like, Stanford, like, Utah would be... Utah could be something <laughs> <laughs> to see, right? I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to take away from like this Utah, t- like, but uh, I think if you're a Utah fan, the what you are, what you might see here with Lincoln Riley coming into USC is, is because Utah never oh, closed the, yeah. never closed the gap in recruiting, your window really could close. Like, you know every like you know truly everyone in the south window could close utah was the only team that sort of took advantage of it but because utah never ramped up their recruiting you know this could be it you know like you could you could really need to have two turnovers to catch usc you know um, and, and like God forbid if like Andy Ludwig ever went anywhere and we're like back to the revolving door of offensive. I mean, I give Whittingham credit. like he never stuck with a bad offensive court, right? Like you would go change it up, but he also had a bunch of a bunch of misses, you know, like and that's I mean that, that that's my sort of like I mean like with this Utah team, like it's just it's disappointing to see a team coming off a Rose Bowl. A team, you know, in an opportunity at a time when you know, USC had you know, USC had a committed quarterback out of Utah, you know, that ends up coming free and he, he signs with Ohio State, you know, the youths don't get him. Um, and and I do like they have probably the, you know, maybe the best player they ever signed and Lander Burton, you know, and Nate Johnson, the quarterback they did bring in, is a really solid QB you know he's a four star um but utah should sign more four star players they just should
0: yeah they they did a good job last year at the linebacker yeah. core they'll they'll be fine at linebacker for a while but you know when when i think like when you talk about taking advantage so when usc was down from a a wins perspective yeah the game of thrones right where like basically every team had to had ch- turn in the chair uh even arizona won the south one year yeah. Um, but on the recruiting front, it's, it's really where you saw teams like Oregon take advantage and Washington, uh, was able to dip into something. And then basically every other national team, uh, the good thing with, with Utah is the floor is so high. So even if they, even if they do what they're doing now, develop players, you know, uh, play well, get, get a chance to, to get into the, you know, conference championship, like it will still be very good football. And, yeah, absolutely. And like the the worst case, you know, I could see in the next couple of years is like eight, you know, an eight win season. And if you're a Utah fan, you're hearing that, you're like, oh, that's great. It's more just like what what can be, right? What's the ceiling for the program? And it can be a little bit higher without having to sacrifice. I think, you know, I'm not like the I'm not in the in and out of recruiting. I'm sure there's a lot of like uh, a lot of sketchball stuff that happens. But with NIL now, I do think right. that there is a world where Utah um maybe turns it up to five rather than 11 you know and it's just able to bring in players that they can develop that also already have the physical capabilities and can play right away and you know i'm just i'm just interested to see what that program would look like if they ever get there um i don't think i mean they're not going to be there this coming year they will still be like a top 10 top 15 team which is awesome um right but in the in the coming years right like Maybe they're still top 15, but they're just constantly looking at three or four programs or two or three programs in the conference that are just always going to be better than them on paper by a lot. Um, and you're going to have to hope that coaching and, and development and I think a lot of Utah fans are like, yeah, we'll, we'll take that bet. And yeah, um, but, I mean, but you know. <laughs> I mean, like if you go
1: through if you go through and look at like, you know, the state of Utah, you know, the state of Utah produced. Six four-star players, you know. Utah got one of them, right? Um, you know, and then they produced a you know a, you know another whole you know bevy of uh, of high three stars, you know, and and Utah got one of them, you know. And I I think I, I you know you 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 know like we saw Arizona go out and get Jason Kafusi off US, UCLA staff, right? who's recruited you like Utah with you know in the Polynesian community there is becoming you know along with Arizona along with Las Vegas you know like a, a decent recruiting ground in the west um and like Utah Utah's, like Utah's got to get more of these players i mean they can't be losing out to to BYU in in the city and i say that as like i grew up in wyoming i know <laughs> like i i know i know the pull that BYU has right like amongst, uh, amongst LDS, you know, kids, right? Like, I get it. Um, Utah's, but Utah's still got to come out there and, like, win those recruiting battles, right? Like, they got to come out, like, they can't come out in, and, and they'll recruit better than BYU, I think, overall. But, like, if BYU is kicking their butt, in state as Utah developed the state of Utah develops more high school football talent. That's not a win for them. You know, like they, they got to they got to seal the deal a little bit more there, I think. Um, so it's like, look, that, that is like my one knock. Like yeah, it's, nitpick, if there's, yeah. it, it's like a nitpicky knock on on Utah. There's still going to be, the, the formula is absolutely there to take recruiting classes at this level, turn them into nine, 10 win teams. Um, you know, you're going to have some eight win years in there too. Um, but like most of the big success that Utah has had has been while the Pac-12 was mostly down. Right, um, and so that strategy. Well, you will still remain competitive and near the upper half of the South, you know, and in the upper half of the conference. It, it you may the ceiling may be a little lower. I guess you could say for Utah in the future if they if they don't pick up recruiting more.
0: Yeah, one one addition, then and then leaving on a high note with Utah. Yeah, and it's B-
1: weird because like I sound like I'm negative. Like I'm so po- I'm like I'm high on the Utes. I'm like, what are you talking about USC? Like Utah is the favorite
0: next year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think one one other competitive item when it comes to recruiting though is BYU is going to have some more resources now that they're in the Big Twelve. Now it's not, yeah. you know, like it's and it's you know significantly more resources than I would assume as they they were getting it as an independent. Um, so now you're going to have to compete a little bit more with that, and I think that's interesting. But, you know, turning forward into 2022, the one game that just pops right out, and I'm sure every Utah fan has already circled it on their calendar, and that's a trip to Gainesville on the first week of college football to play Florida. Uh, we chatted a little bit about this before we started, Rob, but I just was I was fascinated by what you thought about it because I think this is a huge opportunity for Utah.
1: It really is. I mean, this Florida team, of course, like finished really poorly. Um, you know, Dan Mullen ended up fired. Um, you know, and, and Dan Mullen might be part of the reason they ended up getting this game, right? Like former Utah coach <laughs> <laughs> coached with the Gators. Um, but they're you know, this Utah team really or this this Florida team really struggled. Utah should come in as the favorite. Um, you know, against this Billy Napier led squad. Like I don't I don't expect Billy Napier to be able to sort of fully work his magic to get you know, Florida, I mean, Utah, if Utah doesn't come into the season next season ranked in the top 10, like, I don't know, like put it, that, that's both important material. Put that up, you Mm -hmm. know, like they, that's disrespect. Like Utah should come into next season ranked in the top 10 with everything that they're bringing back. Florida probably isn't going to come into next season ranked in the top 25. And I think that's fair. Like, I mean, they might start to put it together more towards the end of the year, but this Florida team you know, though they have really good talent, I don't expect them to, you know, to really have it put together to be able to compete with Utah. They'll be more competent than they were, like at the end of last year when they, uh, frankly, at times it looked like they'd really just quit on Mullen. Um, but yeah, this should be this should be a like a, a real shot for a, like a showcase game for the Utes um, to go in and, um, you know, put uh, put an early message out about who they, uh, you know, you know that they're a team to to keep an eye on next season.
0: It'd be huge for the conference you have, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of people didn't watch a lot of Utah football. I'm sure some people watched the Rose Bowl and they just thought, oh, well, Ohio State didn't have those players like Utah is good and yeah. you have an excellent team going across the country in likely a primetime game on national television against the team that on paper looks good. But actually, when you look under the hood, might be really trying to put things together for future years. And I think that's like a perfect scenario for Utah. The one thing to mention, though, Rob, is if this is an afternoon game. And if you are a Utah Ute like that, it could be a miserable. Yeah. Hydrate. And like every single one of those players on the field, but have seven Gatorade bottles by them. And like, in those, you know, those giant fans that they blow. You're just like, Oh, I wish I had one of those in my house. Like that would be the one instance where if Utah loses that, the heat will absolutely be a factor. So just beware. The cramps. Yeah.
1: Like like, we went to that God awful game where Arizona got mauled. Um, it was terrible. At Houston. And it was like an 11 a.m. kickoff in Houston, like, of, like, that same time, like, first week of September. Um, yeah, like, the humidity is will dehydrate. I mean, you will sweat. No one will wear jeans. Like, don't, like, <laughs> like, dress dress for the weather. Wear as little as possible.
0: <laughs> well, well I, I think that the, the problem, though, too, is, like, when we went to that game, we saw Arizona. I mean, it, it 100% impacted how oh, yeah. well that team came out and, yeah. you know, like it's, and it's backwards for Utah, you know, like usually teams go to Utah and it's cold and teams aren't used to it being cold and it's at altitude. It's the exact opposite. I really do think that that will play a factor in that game. I I mean, like if Utah comes out sluggish in the, in the, in that first half, it will be because of the heat, it will be that bad. And the team just isn't used to that. Now, like, you know, you do play at Arizona and Arizona State, but that like the dry heat, that's real that there is a difference between Gainesville and Tucson (laughs) or or Phoenix.
1: Well, like the Pac-12 has a rule that you can't play, you know, that Arizona and Arizona State can't kick off before 7 p.m. local time.
0: Because people will die.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, it's like that's inhuman. (laughs) I mean, like I was at that Iowa game, you know, like a decade or so ago when Arizona beat Iowa. um, And it was 102 at kickoff at at 7 p.m. Right. Like, I mean, it's still hot. Um, But it's, I mean, like you said, like it's a dry heat. Um, you know this, you like the humidity here. If this is like a three thirty or a noon kickoff or something like that, it's gonna be brutal. I mean, the heat and humidity combo. So, like, I'm I'm excited. This should be a lot of fun for Utah to to get to go to this game. Um, but if you're going to the game, like. Do plan ahead and uh, bring lots of fluids and (laughs) all that and Utah travels well so like I I would expect people to want to go to this game
0: yeah yeah it'll it'll be real fun to, to watch that game I'm looking forward to it I think Utah wins um I think this is a perfect spot for them weather uh not included in that prediction uh Rob anything else that we should cover before we sign off
1: no I mean like like we talked about like I mean and uh Utah is uh Utah projects to be really good I'm actually uh I use Bill Connolly's returning production numbers. He should have those out tomorrow. Um, I'm aiming to have beta rank projections up on Thursday.
0: Oh, and that – so next season. So, quick question on that. I'm not sure if Connolly has mentioned this yet, but returning production – oh, that's returning production, not new production. I'm just curious how all these transfers fit into any preseason ranks. Like, do – So,
1: the way he does it, um, which I end up incorporating because I use his numbers – Is he just incorporates the um, the totals that the transfers are bringing in, and then into both the numerator, numerator and denominator. So like you know, it just change. It it ends up changing like what the team total would have been for the prior year, um, because now you have this player coming in that has this much production. So it is incorporated. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it is imperfect, right? Like, you know, we'd be better off if we had, you know, like really good evaluations where we could incorporate them at recruiting too. I'm not sure we're there yet. Um, I mean, but some of that too is like some of these transfers that are coming in, uh, some of them haven't played a lot. So there's no like taped evaluate them on what they look like in college right like you're sort of making an assumption on where their level is based on where their offers might be coming in from and who they sign
0: with huh yeah that's it's fascinating to see well we'll keep an eye on that and again you know like the the preseason beta rank and and you know any any Projection model in the beginning is more just a starting point to talk through. In you know, as the season goes along, you can bounce all those. Well, it should points. it
1: should do a lot better than this past year's one because that was off of like the 2020 data and that was bad. Oh, yeah. um, oh no, and it's really frustrating because like uh, like overall on the year, like Beta Rank finished behind some models that it normally does better than. But it was all because in like the first six weeks. Um, The projection model from last season with that 2020 data in, it really took some lumps compared to some other models. And then on the back half of the season, I mostly just kicked everyone's ass. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I say that unabashedly because there are some people whose models that they charge, they have the the temerity to charge people for, for their results. Um, And I did better against the spread than they did.
0: (laughs) Biggity bow, biggity bow. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so should we finally get to USC? I mean, we had the problem is we've been talking about USC the last three weeks. Is there any other team that we can,
1: I mean, we can't do ASU. Yeah. Do <laughs> ASU. I mean, I, it's hard to schedule UCLA. I, I mean, like you want to assume they're going to have a DC, but without somebody, you know, actually lined in, we do, we can, have we done
0: Stanford? Yeah. Yeah. We did, Stanford. we did. We haven't done Oregon. Let's do Oregon. Yeah. They're set. Yeah. I'm curious. To, it was to- funny.
1: Like Hippolyte was doing like a review of
0: oh, Tosh LaPoi's defense. Tosh Lapoy, And I'm thinking
1: like, <laughs> there's no way Landing's letting him play call plays.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I saw that too. And I thought, I, I feel like he's more, cause he kind of, they slapped his hand real fast. Um,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm treating this as if, I don't even think Lapoy finished out that season as play caller. Um, I'm almost positive he didn't, uh, and I'm fully treating this as like Lannings, your your defensive play caller.
0: Yeah. Well we'll see. I mean, like, and it's it's a smart move on their end, right? You bring some you already have that covered, so bring somebody in that could just bring the players in for said defensive coordinator slash head coach. Um, oh,
1: we talked about it for years, right? Like Tosh the Poise light was like the outs like the nuclear weapon that somebody they could potentially add in recruiting if they were willing to give him the DC title.
0: Yeah. Ta da. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right all right let's do oregon next week finally it's been a while for oregon fans we've been dancing around uh but you know there was there were some other you know programs that i just thought were interesting that we should cover so um stay tuned next week uh we will continue to keep a look at there really wasn't any other transfer news so i, I really am trying to keep a it should be quiet
1: like it should be relatively quiet until we get to after spring practice because then you'll have guys who realize they're not going to be somebody out and transfer before fall camp
0: oh spring practice i totally forgot about that it's like the nfl man it just never stops now
1: but what's interesting though i mean like because we talk, i mean like this year is like you see you hear so many people like and coaches like i don't know clutching their pearls over the portal and they're um and i i have almost no sympathy for it because <laughs> like the um one because coaches can change jobs at any time but two, like part of the reason this year is so weird is because you have the, the COVID year still in the system where you have, you know, players um, who have an additional year of eligibility to figure out. Um, and so you have like a lot more people in the portal than you would normally anyway. Um, but like, I, I, I wonder like how many roster spots some of these teams, like that's something I wish somebody put together across the conference. Maybe I should just try to email like the guys that cover the teams and see how many roster spots they have. Like, cause I know like Arizona has one roster spot. I don't know how many USC has left. Um, but there's not like a ton of roster spots left. I would imagine across the conference too. Um, because teams are also having to figure out how they're going to get to their roster numbers to get down to the 85 scholarships again.
0: Oh yeah. I always think like, when people complain about the transfer, oh, it's too much to keep track of. Well, take less money and pay somebody to do it. Like, be an adult. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm oh, sorry that you're making three million dollars and you can't afford to, uh, you know, drop fifty thousand to get somebody to organize crap. Um, and I'm sure you know. I know that I, I, understand that it's, it's more than that. But, um, that always drives me nuts, particularly when the big coaches talk about that and like, yeah, I feel like you can put that in your budget. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's leave it there. We will catch everybody next week, and thank you for tuning in.